Hi everyone, we are looking again part two of a mini reflection on rhythms, processing what uh, Chris Sal and Mal have been and giving and will be contributing to our continuing discussion and dialogue amongst us as a community at Hope about moving into a life both individually and at a community level which postures ourselves for connectedness with God. Last week, I focused on daily rhythms, and this week, we're going to focus on weekly, monthly, and annual rhythms. So again, we we say this again and again and again, and if any of you is familiar with Simon Sinek's work, know your why. It's so important when we go into this area that we know our why. One of the reasons we've resisted rhythms so much, certainly in my tradition, is because they've become the means to the end and we've completely missed the point of connectedness with God. I highlighted that, those those two images that Luke the writer brings in, in a parable um, by Jesus of the Good Samaritan and then the Acts 3 passage in the, tragically in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus um shows how two highly religious people rush past the person in need to get to the temple. Whereas what's wonderful and good news about Peter and John, uh, this is the true story of two people called Peter and John, close friends of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit on their way to the temple. Similarly, they actually bring, if you like, the temple to the man who needs healing and restoration. Um, The temple is heaven on earth. And that is found in the person of Jesus and it's found in the people of God filled by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're doing. That's why we're really digging deep into how we spend our time and what we do and what we organise our time and money and resources and attention and what we give our lives to. Because this shows what we worship and we want to bring heaven to earth. We want to bring the temple to the people, if you like. Now, I mentioned a number of orbiting images last week of different things we can uh, surround our orbit our lives around that are not God. And I think the one key one which probably sums up all the other ones and which Jesus himself identifies as the key competing God or idol or addiction in our life is, is simply money. Is, is revolving our lives around the accumulation of money, about what money might buy for us, what it might uh, bring us in terms of status, identity, and what it might buy for us in terms of drugs and other substances or lifestyles we feel we need to, to heal ourselves or make ourselves feel better or forget our lives or whatever it is. But Jesus is very clear. We either devote ourselves and we serve God or money. We, we can't do both and we will only do one. And these rhythms are about intentionally orientating our lives around God with the principle, the covenantal reality and promise that if we seek first his kingdom, if we orientate our lives around him, then all provision we need will come to us in abundance. And uh, Chris and I can testify to the reality of that alignment in our lives. So we looked at those beautiful rhythms in the Genesis 1 narrative, the daily rhythms of morning and evening, morning and evening, and then entering into that seventh day that has no end. Um, one of the ways that, that you can read the Hebrew Bible, and actually the Jewish writers in the New Testament employ a similar approach called a, it's a chiastic structure where you start and end with a kind of a repetition and you move through to the main point in the middle and out again. I did an example of that in the Tower of Babel, which is a perfect hourglass structure at the end in Genesis 11 in our Genesis 
uh, one to 11 miniseries back in May, April, if you want an example of it. And this, this is employed in the gen, in the days one to seven narrative in, in Genesis as well. If you, you move through, there's a climax certainly in day six, there's release in day seven, but there's also a day one and seven and partnering and matching each other, focusing in on the middle day, day four. And in day four, scholars, Jewish scholars believe and Christian scholars that this is the key to understanding the Jewish festival season. In day four, God has, he's separated in one, two, three, and in day four, five, and six, he fills. And in day four, he's filling the sky with heavenly bodies, with the sun, the moon, and the stars. This would have meant a number of different things in the ancient world. But for the purpose of this talk, we're looking particularly at the Jewish festival season that this is a key to. So it says in day four, God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. So the focal point of that of that verse is this idea that the, the sun, the moon and the stars, particularly the sun and the moon, provide mark sacred times. They mark a festival year. And so what, what happens then in the rest of the Torah and Exodus to Deuteronomy, if you like, is an unpacking of that and the commemoration of the Jewish agricultural year, God allocating seven annual festivals that, that move with the Jewish agricultural year, but actually commemorate and celebrate their redeemed life with God, beginning famously with the Passover festival being celebrated right through to the final gathering of the harvest marked by the celebration of tabernacles or booths, commemorating God's protection of the, the Israelite community and their wandering in the desert. There are seven annual feasts. We've noted already that seven is symbolic of completeness. In Jewish thinking, numbers often have symbolic value and seven is no different. There are seven words in the first sentence of the creation narrative in Genesis 1. There are seven times two words, 14 in the second sentence. It's a seven-day creation narrative with a seventh day that has no end. It points to a seventh day of rest, which we're going to come to now. And the seven annual feasts in the um, that most God through Moses prescribes the Israelites to commemorate his partnership with them, his covenant with them in throughout their agricultural year. And every seventh year is a sabbatical year there to rest the land. And after every seven times seventh year, there's a Sabbath of Sabbaths, the 50th year is the Jubilee, where those who have had to sell themselves into slavery because they've become in debt are released and all land is re- reassigned to its original owner. These are highly intentional devices from the writer of the Hebrew Bible pointing to a a way of life that is complete in a world that is broken. And I just want to read a beautiful uh, quote from a book called The Sabbath by Abraham Joshua Heschel. He's a post-war Jewish writer in America. And it's it's just a it's rich and it's beautiful and it's a, a wonderful insight into his practice of the Sabbath and what he he saw the Sabbath as, but also rather a poignant um, moment in time as the Jewish community were processing together what had been happening 
in the war in Europe, back in Europe, where many of their friends and colleagues were having to escape and settle in America. So it's, a, it's, a, it's just a beautiful book generally. But he has this incredible insight, which we found really, really helpful. And he talks about um, the distinction in Jewish thinking of these festivals and particularly the Sabbath day, the seventh day of rest, so Sabbat simply means cease, pause or stop, is that it's, he calls it a cathedral in time that can be practiced and worshipped wherever you are in geography, that time is holy, absolutely beautiful. So I'm just, I'm going to read a little section out by, of his observations of, of how just that that distinct approach to what what's distinct and holiness kadosh actually is in terms of the thinking in the in the Hebrew Bible. And as we listen to this, let's let's be thinking about how we spend our time because essentially rhythms is how we spend our time. The the Hebrew Bible is more concerned with time than with space. It sees the world in the dimension of time. It pays more attention to generations, to events, than to countries, to things. It is more concerned with history than with geography. To understand the teaching of the Hebrew Bible, one must accept its premise that time has a meaning for life, which is at least equal to that of space, that time has a significance and sovereignty of its own. One of the most important facts in the history of religion was the transformation of agricultural festivals into commemorations of historical events. The festivals of ancient peoples were intimately linked with nature's seasons. They celebrated what happened in the life of nature in the respective seasons. Thus, the value of the festive day was determined by the things nature did or did not bring forth. In Judaism, Passover, originally a spring festival, became a celebration of the exodus from Egypt, the Feast of Weeks. An old harvest festival at the end of the wheat harvest became the celebration on the day on which the Torah was given at Sinai. The Feast of the Booths, an old festival of vintage, commemorates the dwelling of the Israelites in booths during their sojourn in the wilderness. To Israel, the unique events of historic time were spiritually more significant than the repetitive processes in the cycle of nature, even though physical sustenance depended on the latter. Whilst the deities of other peoples were associated with places or things, the God of Israel was the God of events, the redeemer from slavery, the revealer of the Torah, manifesting himself in events of history rather than in things or places. Judaism is a religion of time, aiming at the sanctification of time, which is making time kadosh, holy, distinct, set apart, recovered in covenantal relationship with God. Unlike the space-minded human to whom time is unvaried, iterative, homogenous, to whom all hours are alike, qualityless, empty shells, the Bible senses the diversified character of time. There are no two hours alike. Every hour is unique and the only one given at the moment, exclusive and endlessly precious. Judaism teaches us to be attached to holiness in time, to be attached to sacred events, to learn how to consecrate sanctuaries that emerge from the magnificent stream of a year. And I find this this sentence particularly poignant in the light of the context of post-war America that he was writing in. The Sabbaths are our great cathedrals and our holy of holies, is a shrine that neither the Romans nor the Germans were able to burn, a shrine that even apostasy cannot easily obliterate, the Day of Atonement. 
According to the ancient rabbis, it is not the observance of the Day of Atonement, but the day itself, the essence of the day, which, with man's repentance, atones for the sins of man. Jewish ritual may be characterised as the art of significant forms in time, as an architecture of time. Most of its observances, the Sabbath, the new moon, the festivals, the sabbatical and the jubilee year, depend on a certain hour of the day or season of the year. It is, for example, the evening, morning or afternoon that brings with it the call to prayer. The main themes of faith lie in the realm of time. We remember the day of the exodus from Egypt, the day when Israel stood at Sinai, and our messianic hope is the expectation of a day, of the end of days. One of the most distinguished words in the Bible is the word kadosh, holy, a word which more than any other is representative of the mystery and majesty of the divine. Now, what was the first holy object in the history of the world? Was it a mountain? Was it an altar? It is indeed a unique occasion at which the distinguished word kadosh is used for the first time in the book of Genesis at the end of the story of creation. How extremely significant is the fact that it is applied to time and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, kadosh. There is no reference in the record of creation to any object in space that would be endowed with this quality of holiness. Such a beautiful way of seeing the world is that time is is the cathedral within which we inhabit and worship God, and particularly this movement and arrangement of our lives around building up to the Sabbath day, a day where we can rest and worship God. Now, we actually believe as as Gentile followers of Jesus, also messianic believers in Jesus also believe this too, that he talks about a messianic hope that is the expectation to come. We believe the Messiah, the Mashiach, who the Hebrew Bible is pointing to, has already come and has already inaugurated new creation through his people who believe in him and will bring a consummation to that new creation. All the Hebrew Bible, if you want one lens to read it through, is the lens that Jesus himself employed, where he said, all the law, Torah, Navim, and Ketuvim, the Tanakh, they all point to him. He is the fulfillment of everything in the Hebrew Bible. So in terms of the number seven, he is completeness. He is our seventh day of rest. He completes every one of those seven annual feasts from the Passover at the beginning to the spiritual in gathering of the harvest at the end. There is no rhythm outside Jesus. He is He is the word incarnate. He is the one that speaks and sustains everything. And Paul talks about it beautifully in the Greco-Roman culture within which he had to contend for that wrestling between with the Jewish communities believing in Jesus and then Gentile communities coming to believe in Jesus. What did it look like to follow this Torah, this instruction, now that the messianic hope had come? And he says rather beautifully in, in Colossians, he speaks straight into this issue. I just want us to hear this, hear what Jesus has done for us, hear the freedom and the liberation and the completeness he's run for us, hear the crucifixion of all activity that is of the flesh, including our own desire to build celebrations and festivals, and hear the life that we now have in Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, 
you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailed to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And really, this pertains to the rhythms we're now going to be talking about. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So everything we're doing is about Jesus and every practice we engage in is about posturing ourselves for the reality of union and connectedness with him. We are postured for the fulfilment of him to draw near to us as we draw near to him. Now, as you can tell, um, probably from getting to know me a bit, my, 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 the stream of my background sort of was probably a generation or two coming out of a highly legalistic approach to Sabbath. So in my upbringing and in my adulthood, I did not see it. I didn't understand it. In fact, I was quite resistant to the idea. To me, it smacked of, and I think Chris had this as well, <laughs> smacked of having to play with your Noah Ark zoo toys rather than play football on Sunday and felt completely non-abundant, opposing all forms of abundant life and repressive and oppressive. And I think probably there was some of that in certain streams of the church, which is probably why it has been thrown off with such swiftness in the last two decades so that now life really is 24-7 and it's very hard to distinguish one day from another, apart from the American creation in the 20th century of the weekend. I'm going to come to that in a minute. So our journey into Sabbath rhythm of working six days and resting one really came as a result of paying attention to Chris continually getting tonsillitis every few months and just paying attention. It was like an amber light. It wasn't a red light, but it wasn't a green light. If there was an amber light, there was something not quite right about our rhythms of life. We, he wanted, when he, we felt God say to leave the, the role he was in in financial services and apply for the job here of associate pastor. He wanted to carry on volunteering on Sunday like everyone does, who most people do who aren't actually paid staff. And so he wanted to work Monday to Friday in what was partly an operations role at the time and then volunteer on Sunday. But it really came to a head that it, it, it was work on Sunday and when I, I think there was paternity leave with one of our children and people still approached Chris on Sunday with work queries, which totally made sense and was fair enough. So as a result, we paid attention to the tonsillitis, paid attention to the reality of what it, it was for Chris as associate pastor to be here on Sunday and moved his working week from Sunday to Thursday, which meant we still had weekends off, but we, our weekends at that point were Thursday sorry, Thursday evening till kind of Saturday evening, we could go away and um, still live our life, the, the two-day weekend and five-day working week, just a different, slightly different to some people, although lots of people have different shift patterns and so on, so probably not too different to most people nowadays. 
And that was fine. And we carried on like that. And then when Jemima was three, I felt God spake, speak very clearly to me. Um, we'd been kind of probably moving in this direction. There were some brilliant people at Hope who were kind of already part of moving in this direction. But I felt God speak very clearly to me to turn our um, Hope community, mums and, no, sorry, parent and child group, our toddler group into a, a missional group into a sorry a community out outward facing serving the community group and as soon as he said that word I knew the first thing that came to mind was our weekends are crucified it was a, it was just as clear as day because that was bang the Friday morning when the little stars rhythm was happening already and was going to happen was bang in the middle of what I saw as the weekend but I just knew God had spoken and and when he speaks, he makes a way and his word is always better for us than what we think our words are. His words last and build things. And our words often are out of fear and self-protection and actually can rob us from the abundant life he invites us into. So I just knew that that was a moment. And I we said, yes, we're going to do that. And probably from that moment onwards, about 10 years ago now, we don't operate in terms of that was the beginning of the end of the operation of weekends away for us and a beginning of a realignment of our thinking of the biblical pattern of six days work and one day of rest. Um, the, 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 if you like, the Egypt and Babylon in the Bible, that, that spirit in the world is always trying to move us to not work at all, like Pharaoh on the backs of slaves, living off the backs of slaves who can never not work, or an enslaved system where we have to work 24-7, either through poverty or through our own workaholism. And God brings us into alignment where we're designed to work and rest. And so during the next few years, we started to enter into a pattern and started to discover a way of life, the art form that, that Abraham um, Abraham Heschel, which I just read about in the Sabbath, he, st- he discovered and, and, and talked about and inhabited in that, in that beautiful little book. And we started to discover it for ourselves. A particular breakthrough was one year where we picked up this book at a friend's house called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. We believe Hope Community is a community of leaders. If you don't see yourself as a leader, I want you to go away from this, look in the mirror and say, I am a leader, because the reality is we are a church full of leaders. So that's why I'm highlighting this book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. People are following you in your workplace, in your home, in your community. People are looking at you and we want to be emotionally healthy in that significant role and place we have in our lives. And he really goes into, he's, he's very brilliant, um, the honest about um, a number of different kind of conversion points and break, breakdown, precipitating conversion points into how he approaches life. He's just a really a great role model pastor for us because he leads a church. He, he did lead a church in New York with 78 different nations. So brilliant, so inspiring in terms of just totally down to earth and, and multicultural connection with God. And he has a podcast, which you can listen to as well. And his essential message is about slowing down to be with Jesus, which is so liberating. So we were starting to engage with that. And then a few years later, we went to New Wine. And some of you would have heard of John Mark Comer's recent talk, which Malcolm, recent book, not his t- very recent book, but his book in 2019, which Mal Caladine talked about, the prophetic book of the year, because it's the ruthless elimination of Hari published in 2019 and then 2020 well we had to ruthlessly eliminate some areas of hurry in our lives 
because of the, the lockdown and the pandemic. He also earlier has written a beautiful book on the sanctification of work, just that work is in the new creation. It's a beautiful thing, whatever you do. So that's good for work, rest, balance. So through this and processing and understanding like any art form, a Sabbath rest and a, a working, a work and a rest rhythm is, is just this beautiful thing to explore and experiment with and find and inhabit. It's a way of life that works. We've, we've, we've just done that for many years now and it changes with seasons as we've talked about a lot here in processing together. It changes whether whoever, whether we're living in with anyone in our household or not, whatever, whether I had some great conversations with um, Theo and Rachel and Lily who were here at Hope last week and two of them are doctors and they were discussing the whole thing of, of, of shift patterns. And what I've loved about the attitude they had and other brilliant people have like Bex and Esther and other people have had is at hope we aren't a people that say I, I can't and I won't. We're a people that say I can and I will. We absolutely believe God's given us everything for life and godliness. And there is no reason why we can't enter into um, individual and community life giving rhythms because God has given us everything we need to do that and there is no reason in our life there's no status there's no there's nothing that prevents us entering into the abundant life God has for us now and I loved their attitude was well you know we have shift patterns but we actually do know them three months in advance so we could actually enter into some sort of sabbatical rhythm it's about being intentional and I loved how they could name how they could make it work in their situation but for us, we, we, as I've said, we're, we, we work during the week. We work on Sunday. I, I pretty much pattern my life at roughly Sunday, Monday, Tuesday is roughly for hope. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, very roughly as a rule of thumb is for Biblios. So Friday evening to Saturday evening is our, um, our Sabbath rest. And every single Friday afternoon for years now, I felt I've got, I'm going on holiday. I have that exciting feeling of going on holiday. The root word of holiday is holy day. If you don't feel you're going on holiday, it's not a holy day. It is literally the design is that it feels like you're going on holiday. We're not going anywhere. We're staying at home. We probably might do one walk out in the next 24 hours with a dog. If there are children's parties, we always say yes to that. And and sport as is is, is restful and helpful for our children. But uh, essentially, as Freddie called it, the beginning of lockdown, we're entering into a thousand Saturdays. That's our that's our life. But it feels like we're going on holiday because there's a sabbatical rhythm woven into creation that that works. I feel infinitely more rested and restored after that 24 hours than I do after weekends away, particularly where travel is involved. And so I feel that I come to about Friday afternoon with that excitement and anticipation and absolute desperate need to be refueled. And then by 24 hours later, coming to the end, Saturday, 5, 6 p.m., I'm already and often work can work if I need to Saturday evening. It is incredibly powerful and it really, really works. So our approach really is very simple. And as you're hearing this, can you, we're, we're asking the Holy Spirit, aren't we, to bring the word from heaven for each one of us. It's changed, as I said, over the years, but essentially we, we do no paid or unpaid work during that time. So, uh, uh, and we, we kind of don't have responsibilities because in one day of the week, we just know God's in charge. He's going to, he's running the world and he's going to bring it all to new creation. And we can just relax in his goodness and worship him. And for Chris, maybe enjoy being in the, in the garden. I can enjoy some reading. We enjoy 
that the just the good things of life for one day a week. We're absolutely responsible for our children, of course, because they're of a dependent age and any pets that might be in the house. But beyond that, we can just be childlike for one day a week. We go on holiday. We get to do that every week of the year. Do you remember how I talked about the crucifixion? of me knowing our weekends are crucified because I said yes, which sounds a really dramatic statement. It was just that was the phrase that I knew God was saying was happening to us when I, if I said yes to doing little stars. Well, it turns out that that Friday morning, Chris just has this incredible day for, he had that half day. It's the only time really on his own, um, for, with that phase, well, in that phase of life when we have small children and obviously working as well in the day and straight into small children in the evening means that that was half a day that God gave him because he knew that would completely restore him. And I just felt the goodness of God because for me, it's so restorative being around people. So I love the community feel of little stars at the end of the week. It just was brilliant. And he loves that time of being on his own. He also does hilarious jobs on that day. He has a jobs list that day. And it's all the, all the unpaid work that needs to be done to just be kind of full of life and stewarding life well, which means that we can really rest on the Saturday. And one day involved me coming back from Little Stars and he painted the house blue, which I absolutely loved. It was brilliant. And we, so our movement is on, so Friday night we often have a special meal, but we might, at the moment, Chris does homemade sourdough pizzas, which is amazing, but some sort of special meal and a movie night. Some people like John Mark Homer actually are device free for 24 hours. We feel actually for us, it really works having a movie night. It's a great way to process life together with our children together. We've seen hundreds of movies. We wanted to have an, we wanted it to be inspirational. So, and our first one was that really slightly creepy first Superman movie. So I don't know how that worked. Actually, our very first one was when Jemima was two. We'd put that Disney Snow White on and she was totally freaked out by the witch person queen and so we had to sort of lay it down on movement my vision for movie night for a few years and then came back with superman so anyway hopefully some of the movies over the years have been inspirational but it's certainly been incredibly bonding and then we have a have as much of a line as is possible and often um different seasons Benj plays football often on Saturday mornings, but different seasons will have breakfast or, or brunch together, a, a homemade kind of time together. We might go for a walk with the dog. The kids might watch something after lunch. We might rest. And then, by, as I said, by 5, 6 p.m., we are completely filled up and ready to go. And I just want to say, life is not perfect, is it? We don't live in a perfect world. We live actually in more of a Greco-Roman culture than in a Jewish culture. So Jesus lived in a Jewish culture, the sabbatical rhythm under Roman oppression. So it was beautiful. They could practice Sabbath. But nevertheless, he lived in a sabbatical rhythm. Whereas Paul was meeting people, many followers of Jesus, who who were living 24-7 lives. Slaves couldn't take a Sabbath off, for example. So what we do is we learn to work with the culture we live in, the world we live in we tend to be phone free 24 hours but we know we know we might not be able to be and that that's not a big problem to us because we know we live in this world but we're not of it in terms of of the drivenness and the addiction of it so for example last Saturday I'm going to give you an example of how we do it when life is full even on that day it's Freddie's birthday party from 4.30 to 6.30 in the evening. He planned it at that time on that day in August because he wanted to get the Saturday before half term so people were around, which is amazing. Also happened to be our Hotwell School Arts Trail where we go in and see our children's art. And Benj had an early morning football match. 
So it was quite a full day, but we had a sabbatical attitude towards it. We still did the the special meal and movie night the night before. Um, Chris came back from the football with a whole load of stuff to cook for lunch. I was able to help Benj do stuff for camp, but I made it, it, he's gone on school camp, made it a relational time and just really wanted it to be feeling restful when we were doing it. We prepped uh, a hedgehog cake. Um, that it just made it like a family time of icing it and making it into a hedgehog. And Chris was brilliant at sculpting sponge. I make the sponge, he sculpts it. That's how we work. And um, sticking in all the chocolate fingers. And Jemima used sponge to make cake pop. So it felt like a, a party and a celebration atmosphere, even though it was work. And then we still had a rest time after lunch where we read and the kids watched. So even though it was quite full by the time we got to the party, we had engaged as much in this idea of Sabbath rest as possible. So to encourage us all, we can have a Sabbath mindset for the whole week. We can operate in Christ out of a place of rest. And on that day, we can have a Sabbath approach to every minute, an hour, even if there's a, even if because life is as it is, we can't totally do nothing and just enjoy the goodness of God for 24 hours, which is the dream. I would encourage those as much as possible to contend for it. So I will reflect on that Saturday and think of anything I could have prepared in advance to make it even more restful. It is an art form. We inhabit it and it's a living space every Saturday. As I said, it's a kadosh. It's a sanctified time. It's a cathedral. And we get to worship God by inhabiting that space of rest once a week. The Historically, the reasons churches gathered on Sunday actually was following that synagogue pattern on the Saturday, but it became Sunday because that was the day to celebrate Jesus's resurrection from dead. And the the early church movement in the Greco-Roman Empire, both Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus would gather in homes. Even slaves would try and get time off to gather in groups of 20 to 25 people in house churches across the Mediterranean to celebrate time together, even if they couldn't take the full 24 hours off. We also have a lot of other things we put in our weekly rhythms. I'm not going to go into all of them now, but these help build towards the goal of connectedness with God and with one another. Chris and I aim to have a weekly uh, date time together. And at the moment, because I'm not actually um, focusing on little stars on Friday mornings, we actually have a day date then. At the moment, we go out for either breakfast or coffee, and that's really lovely. We aim to have special time with our children, each of our children. I aim to have a weekly time of accountability with close friends, weekly connection time with my parents, or weekly gathering with that, the whole church community of hope to worship Jesus together and celebrate and cheer one another on in connecting with our original designs here together. On top of that, there are loads of weekly rhythms within Hope. The highlight I would encourage anyone to connect in with is Hope on Wednesday. It's the jewel in our crown. It's one of my favourite times of the week. It's beautiful. The presence of God is there. We can You can come for soup between about 12.30 and 1.30 every Wednesday. And I'm really excited that that's back up and running after we had to close it down during lockdown. That's really exciting. We also have monthly and, and often termly rhythms just because of our age and stage of life. And I, from a hope point of view, I particularly recommend One Church One Day. It's just amazing to have that rhythm. We can now do it online as well. So wherever we are, we can connect in once a month with prayer for Bristol, the city and the region. And then we also, on top of that, we build in annual festivals. Again, all of us will be doing this. These are fairly intuitive we are built in in Britain, surprisingly, 
on, on quite a Christian calendar. In the, there's a Christmas holiday, there's an Easter holiday. This is actually around um, a church calendar system, so we can engage with that. And we tend to see the whole of December as a Christmas celebration season. So we'll maybe pare back. Duncan really uh, wisely talked about things you have to take out in order to put in. So we've learned the hard way that for December, we don't do our normal regular things as much. So we can host because we and then sort of host some sort of Christmassy event every week in December. And then we get to Christmas Day and afterwards and we love it. And it's a great celebration season. But we pace ourselves through the whole of December and beginning of January is a recalibration season. Lent and Easter and Passover are all very much great time to reflection for remembering particularly what Jesus done for us and how he's fulfilled the Passover lamb that enabled the people of Israel to be delivered from slavery through the spitting of the Red Sea into the promised land. And Jesus enables us to be delivered from the tyranny of the old human condition into the whole new way to be human, connected with God. And it's lovely to have a time of year where we can particularly reflect on that, although we would advocate reflecting on that every single day, every time we eat and drink to remember him. And then for us, what evolved was something really beautiful in the summer. And again, I would, the, the, the key, I think, with all of this is when we seek first his kingdom, he aligns our lives and brings us into the rhythms that bring life for us. So in every uh, January around then, I think it was, we were we just felt that the, be- the first thing we needed to put into the year wasn't a holiday, but was new wine. Now, because Chris was a pastor, it was he was paid. It was actually a working week. But we felt that everything revolved around a time, an annual festival where we connect with other Christians. We can connect with hopers who go along and other Christians to hear God in a more specific way. It is it is hard work. It, it's not rest. I see it more of a fast than a feast. And I cried every year. In fact, I realized the year I stopped crying once a year was the year that they opened a tent up at 5.30am for people with small children to come and have a cup of tea and toast and their children could play and make a noise without it waking other people up in the tent. It's just good and healthy for us. We live a very blessed and comfortable life to, to just remember what it's like for a lot of people whose lives aren't as comfortable physically and also how what a blessing it is to in that state to be just given a bit of shelter, a bit of tea and a bit of toast and chat. It, it just changed my life forever, realising how those small things just totally changed me from finding things of struggle to actually feeling connected with and loved and encouraged. But on the back of that incredible, like I said, we posture ourselves for breakthrough. We posture ourselves for connectedness. And and I cannot tell you with all these rhythms God has brought, he fulfills them. He meets us. He draws near to us. There are things on how we practice our lives, like I've touched on. Daniela Strickland's up in and out prayer. We pray every day. And John Mark Homer pressing more into understanding the Sabbath that have really helped our lives and and helped um, our family life together. But there are also major breakthroughs in terms of clarity and, and the way forward with the home we live in and also the school um, we felt God wanted our children to go to um, and the community to pour into Hotwell's Primary School, which we've absolutely loved and has been so good. Those came directly out of New Wine. And then amazingly, as after that, we were able to spend a week with Chris's family, cleaning everything and everyone, and then two weeks in this beautiful home house sitting in 
uh, pit farm where we actually picked up this book one year where they have an amazing kitchen garden and it's just like a beautiful kind of therapy to process what we felt we received in new wine so that August became this time of deep con- of an annual time of connectedness with God and with one another both with the church family with other with a wider Christian family with our own family and and, and with Chris's family as well and there are other rhythms we have in our life every year which help us do that. So hopefully we've received some food for thought. We've given some practicals because we live in the real world. And I wanted to show us how it looked like in the real world in the 21st century. I also want to absolutely guarantee it works from a background of high resistance to anything that smacked of legalism. Like this really, really works. Entering into the life-giving rhythms God has, finding them hearing his voice, sensing his path and, and feeling something works. Going back to that, that last one I said, we actually feel God's moving us on to a slightly different feel for August in the future. We would love, our dream would be to have a regular rhythm of cross-cultural mission, going somewhere as a church every every August, every summer. We don't know how possible that is, but we've put a stake in the ground and we're partnering with Fatima and Ossian, who are pastors of a black church in Bristol and being led by then to a mission next year, ideally COVID permitting, to a mission in South Africa, which we're really excited about. And that's what we want to kind of start to put that annual rhythm of cross-cultural mission where we can both serve others, but also know that we will connect with God. It will be a win-win as it always is in the kingdom every year to have that in place going forward. So to re-quote or uh, paraphrase my um, at Pete Gazzaro, all this is about is slowing down to be with Jesus. We abide in him, in the vine. We're in the vine. We are fruitful. And this is about living in the in the life-giving reality of that, being intentional about everything we do, every way we spend our time, and putting things in place which mean that we live a, the intentional life we've always dreamed of living and are postured for the breakthroughs of God fulfilling those dreams in our life in our lives and enabling us to partner with Him to bring heaven to earth on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual and lifelong basis.